0: Good morning. Have a seat. Welcome to those of you joining us online, those of you in the room. It is good to see all of you after a wild, wild week, right? Um, For those of you wondering, Pastor Joe is recovering well from his surgery. We anticipate seeing him up here next week. I'm not saying that the snow and the ice was because of him. I, I am saying that it was very helpful in keeping him down. You know what I'm saying? Uh, he's recovering well. So that, that's the challenge, friends, right there, is to just uh, keep him from doing too much. But thank you all for praying for him, and we look forward to having him back. Because we are still in this series that he dreamed up. It's his series, The uh, Pain Perspective. So I'm anxious to hear his take on that. Uh, we'll still be in that next week. And, uh, and I was thinking about pain. You know, a lot of times we show up at the ER with a question about pain. If we go to the emergency room, generally the question that is on our mind is when will this stop? (laughs) When when is this pain going to be over? Um, But that usually leads to a different question from the medical professionals, and that question is where did it start? When did this start? When did this happen? And I thought, oh, isn't that the question of the hour, really? I mean, if we're going to go to Scripture, where does pain start? Where does pain end? And, and what is this middle ground? And, you know, it takes us to the first and the last book of the Bible. So this morning, we're going to be reading from both of those bookends. If you're following along online, you'll see it on this, the screens. Um, you can also pull out your devices or your, you know, those books that we call Bibles, if you still like those. I do as well at home, Uh, but but up here, this is where I'm at. So no judgment for anybody, all right? Revelation 21, one through four. Revelation is uh, a a revelation given to John, and he's writing it down. So this is what he has seen, a vision that what he has seen. And this is what he says. Then I saw, 21 verse one, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I love that. Don't let anyone shame you, ladies, for getting a nice wedding gown. Seriously, it's all throughout Scripture. The way a bride presents herself to her husband is very much the way we are to prepare ourselves for this time, right? Prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And as I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Have you heard this before? There will be no more death or mourning or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. The old order of things has passed away. And I got to think, what is the old order? You know, I was raised Mennonite, and Mennonite and Amish and sometimes brethren. uh, Groups are called the old order. The old order, uh, you know, hearkening to the past, the way things used to be done or whatever. And someday the old order, the order of pain is going to be done. It's going to be passed, right? So what is the old order? Well, the old order starts in none other than Genesis, the third chapter, right? Because that's where we have an introduction to pain. And here's how it goes down. Um, God creates everything. He creates man and woman and he sets them in this fabulous nursery called the Garden of Eden and said, here, you can play with all of these things. So here's one thing, don't touch it. And just like our children, oh, that's the thing we want, right? We ignore everything else that's over here, all the bright and pretty colors and everything else. The one thing they were not allowed to touch, they touched. They sinned. Now sin is part of mankind. And God came on the picture and he um, gave them this consequence. He shows up and he says this. Because you have done this, Genesis 3, 16 through 18, to the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe and with painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you through painful toil, You will eat from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. And by the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Now, I have to admit to you that throughout the years of studying this, I have been just a little bit salty about the fact that women get pain and childbirth, which, you know, anyone who has a kid really doesn't escape. I don't care what kind of drugs they give you, friend, all right? And, and guys, they get weeds, and half of you aren't even farmers, you know what I'm saying? And I'm like, this, is, this just feels very unfair in the scheme of things. But none, nonetheless, I think we see that the bigger, the bigger arrangement here is that you will toil. You will sweat. You will put in your 40 hours or whatever to, to earn and, and create sustenance for yourself on this planet. That's part of the thing. This is the pain. We are living in the old order, the order that will pass away. It makes sense that we will not get out unscathed. It makes sense that we're not going to get out of here without feeling the, the pain of the situation. Can I just say that the year 2020 is going to leave a mark? You know what I'm saying? It's going to leave a mark. It's going to leave a mark on our psyche. It's going to leave a mark on our kids. It's going to leave a mark on the economy. It's going to leave a mark that we're going to have to get by. But too often, we're trying to navigate this world pain-free. We're doing our level best to outwit pain. We're determined to escape it at every turn. And in response to the Genesis passage, we're looking for more and better ways to eliminate weeds or not have to work by the sweat of our brow at all. If we can work smarter, we don't have to work harder, right? Um, We're looking for better ways to uh, accommodate childbirth pain in, in safe ways, safer deliveries, less painful deliveries. We are so busy in pain avoidance and pain elimination. And yet we still sense that there is some pain that is productive. There is some pain that is productive. This is why we are so crazy that we get in our vehicles and we drive to the gym so that we can go in there and lift a bunch of stuff and try to make ourselves sweat. How about you just run to the gym and call mission accomplished? You don't even have to go inside. You know, just run around it three times, go home. You don't have. I mean, are you kidding? We're, We're we're bought into that process, right? No pain, no gain. We recognize that there is some pain that makes us stronger. There is some pain that actually muscles you up in some way, and we're anxious for that kind of pain. At the same time that we're trying to avoid it, every turn it's this vicious cycle. But here's the real danger. Here's the real danger. If we managed to eliminate pain, we will live a flat life. We will live a very flat life. See, pain comes from the ability to feel deeply. If you don't have pain receptors, if you have some condition that doesn't allow you to feel pain, you will harm yourself, right? It comes from the ability to feel pain. So when we mask pain... We mask the ability to feel deeply, and we end up feeling nothing deeply. We actually end up feeling nothing. I've told this story before, so you may have heard it, but perhaps not uh, for this particular illustration or point. But uh, my husband and I have ridden motorcycles for about 30-some years. We absolutely love it. I love it. We don't have one now, and it was a sad day. But but for years, that was our escape. We would go for a ride, and one, and uh, it was a wonderful way to vacation. One summer, we uh, decided that we would take a trip and drive all the way to the Florida Keys, which is about 2,200 miles. You know, that means you get to pack, and basically, the, the size of a shoebox for that whole trip, and, and uh, you know, hop on, and away we go. Well, that morning that we headed out, it was summertime, and... And uh, I had had my coffee before we got on the road. And uh, by the time we got down to Jellicoe, I'm like, hey, you know, we need to pull over. Well, he wasn't really excited about what, how this would bode for the trip. You know what I'm saying? If we're stopping every 45 minutes, we're, you know, it's going to take a really long time to get where we're going. So I paid attention. I didn't drink anything at this stop. I'm like, Gotcha not going to drink anything. And I also did not fill the water bottle which was my job on the bike so we had no water with us. And uh, we're cruising along. We're doing just fine until we hit the border of Georgia. I don't know what it is about Georgia. Hottest state on the whole planet, right? I mean Unbelievable. Hot, humid, and it was just sweltering. And now we're in three lanes of traffic. I mean, absolutely busy traffic. It must have been morning work traffic. I don't really know. And I can start to see things closing in on me. And so I leaned forward and I said, "Um, uh, I think we need to pull over. He's in the left-hand lane. He said, now? And I said, "Uh, yeah, now. And that's all I remember, friends. Everything went black after that. Now, some of you know, I can sleep on the back of a motorcycle and it's really not that difficult a skill because you all have fallen asleep in a sermon before and didn't end up on the floor, right? So you know that it can happen. So you, you can hold yourself up. However, if you're unconscious, it's a different game. So having, I was not asleep. Whatever I was, I was not awake. And now I'm dead weight behind him. He's navigating the bike this way, holding my leg this way to keep me from sliding off, which is happening, and trying to get over three lanes of traffic. I wake up on the white line on the edge of the, of the road. Uh, because he is slapping my face silly and screaming at, my, at, me, at me, just saying, Janice, Janice, and just yelling my name incessantly. As soon as I woke up and told him to quit hitting me, hitting me he just starts marching back and forth. He was so upset with me uh, because it's clear that I needed water or something. Now, here's the part of the story that matters. While I'm not there, I feel nothing right? This isn't like a gap in time. I remember, I'm not going to call it anything. I'm just going to describe it to you, okay? Because I'm not going to call it anything. I'm just saying that during that moment of, of losing everything and blacking out, I feel nothing. I can hear I can hear someone yelling my name that feels really familiar, but I'm moving in this direction and and something is bright over there and I am going that direction and I keep hearing this yelling over here and I have to make a cognitive decision to turn around. The minute I turned around and came back, I immediately am slammed back into every sensation that I was feeling that day. The heat, the sweat, the pain, the road rash, everything that I'm feeling all slams into me in that moment. I'm telling you, there is a time and there is a place where you will feel nothing, but it's not called living, it's called dying. It's something else, right? And we're not invited to go there ahead of our time. I am just suggesting to you that while we live in this old order, we will feel, we will feel the things that are here. I don't know exactly what's going on over there. I'm just saying it is not on the same level as what we have here, at least not on the way there. Ecclesiastes 3 says this. A time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. And if I were writing that in this particular week, I would also say a time to shovel and a time not to shovel. And you didn't want to miss that, right? If you missed your time to shovel, it's bad news for you, right? There is, if you avoid all of this, you don't get any of this. The only way to really understand laughter is to understand weeping. The only way to understand living is to understand dying. It's all part of this package. And when we're so busy trying to meditate Ourselves out of feeling anything, we miss the joy of what we have here. We have to take one thing or the other. We, if we, without any highs or lows, we will feel nothing deeply. If there is anything to learn in grief, it is to let yourself feel deeply. Now listen, I know this is really small in the scale of grief, but we found out this week that our favorite and oldest dog has days left to live, right? I mean, he's on his last leg and there's nothing to be done. And I have allowed myself to feel that deeply, right? Because that's part of it. It's an appropriate sort of thing to do. But unfortunately, too often we just look for ways to dull our pain. How do you seek to dull the pain in your life? Here's just a few things. We're going to skim through them real fast. Some of us just distract ourselves. I don't want to feel that. There's too much going on. I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to surf the internet. I'm going to Netflix it away. I'm going to read a book. I'm going to bury myself in work. I'm going to bury myself in projects. I'm going to find ways to distract myself from feeling anything very deeply. Another thing that some of us do, we deny it. That didn't hurt me. I didn't feel any pain at all. That friend just left me, but I didn't feel that. doesn't hurt me at all. I'm going to pretend that that I'm going to deny that pain. I am telling you, you will never heal from something that you do not admit. If you do not recognize and name the pain, you cannot heal from it. You have to be able to say, this happened to me. Now I want to move forward. I want to process through this thing. Here's the third way. This is probably my favorite way. Muscle through it. Just, just bear down and muscle. Just power through that thing. Now, this is great. As long as you have strength, as long as you have emotional strength, as long as you have physical strength, and you're like, yes, this hurts, but doggone it, we are just going to, I'm, I'm always looking for, I, it's a tractor metaphor. I just want to lower gear. Just give me a lower gear. I'm going slower, but I'm still moving, and I'm going to get through this whole thing. But here's the problem. This mind over matter thing, you end up paying for it in other ways. It's a little bit like like driving down the road and your warning light, one of your bazillion warning lights comes on the dash, and you're like, well, this is an inconvenient place to have this problem. I'm going to drive to the next exit. Well, yeah, if you just muscle through, you maybe can get to the next exit, but it's going to be expensive by the time you get there. You know what I'm saying? By now, you've ruined 14 other things because you just muscled through. That's what happens sometimes in our life when we just, we're going to power through it. That's my way. I have to work on that, and it gets expensive to fix after there's even more damage. Here's another way. Some of us hide our pain. We don't want anybody to know we're hurting. We've got it. We feel it ourselves. But you know what? In order to hide your pain, you usually have to hide yourself. You have to withdraw from people. You have to get away from people. And and instead, it's like, you know what? We need friends. When we're struggling with a weight, when we're struggling with pain, we need friends. We need sources, even idiot friends like Job had that we talked about a couple weeks ago who show up and they will sympathize with you and they shut up. We need some of those friends. And then finally, some of us choose to numb it. We will numb the pain with substances, and I don't know what your substance of choice is, but you know what I mean. There are things that we do that will dull our senses of our pain receptors, but when we do that, we also dull our ability to feel true joy because pain provides a perspective on joy. Pain gives us a perspective on joy. When we eliminate sorrow, we eliminate joy. When we eliminate defeat, we eliminate victory. Can you even imagine at the Super Bowl a couple weeks ago? I don't know who you were rooting for, but can you imagine if everybody got a Super Bowl ring, both teams? How, how, how terrible would that be? That would not even be worth watching. If both teams got a trophy, they're not three-year-olds. They're a team. Somebody needs to lose. Winning is no fun if somebody else did not lose, right? We, defeat defines victory. We have to have that. And so it's good for us to teach our children how to manage defeat. It is good for us to teach our children how to manage loss. It's good for us to teach our children. My grandchildren have been over petting on my dog. They need to know he's not going to be with us much longer. They're asking all kinds of questions. That's good to process. How do you move through the grief and the pain? We don't ignore it. We don't pretend it's not there. Life in the old order here on earth is a life lived in contrast. It's lived in contrast. Because see, Jesus told his disciples, you will have trouble. Gear up. I didn't come to eliminate trouble. I came to bring you peace. But I didn't come to get rid of all your trouble. Trouble's going to happen. You're going to have the trouble while you're here. But that's, this gives us an opportunity to, a little bit like a river. The pain is a little bit like a river. We're going to wade through it. You maybe need to learn, learn to swim. I hope you don't drown in it. I hope you don't panic in it. But, we, but we're going to get through this thing on the other side. Notice this. Jesus came to earth and chose to live in the old order under the consequences of Adam and Eve. I'm convinced he didn't have to do that. I feel certain that he didn't have to do that exactly, but he chose to do that. He chose to live under capacity. He submitted to a body that needed a nap. He submitted to a body that got hungry and needed replenishing. He submitted to a body that got tired. Jesus was not Superman. He was not super, he wasn't even that superhero, the thing or whatever it is that doesn't feel pain. He wasn't that either. He allowed himself to feel pain. Jesus chose to navigate life with pain. So if it hurts you when your family and friends reject you, know that Jesus experienced that too. He knows exactly what that feels like. Know that it hurt him too, and he didn't have any nerve block to, to like escape rejection. He knows what that feels like. Jesus felt rejection, he felt grief, he felt anxiety, he felt physical pain on the cross. Think about it. He was rejected by his, uh, his own family. He was rejected by the townspeople. He was rejected by the religious leaders. He was rejected by some of his own disciples. Are you kidding? One of the 12, one of the guys that makes the cut is the one who betrays him. Do you know that the 12 were chosen? Jesus took a whole bunch of disciples up on a mountain and picked 12 and came down. There are some that didn't make the cut. And one of the 12 is the one who betrays Jesus. That's a close friendship, even if he knew it was going to happen. Isaiah 53, 3-4 says he was familiar with pain. He not only took our pain and suffering on the cross, and we'll talk about that a little bit tonight at Pulse, but, they, but he, and we tend to think of it, oh, that's where Jesus felt pain and suffering. No, he felt pain and suffering every day, just like all of us. His everyday life, he felt the pain that we have because we're meant to limp through this life somebody wise once said don't trust a leader who doesn't limp don't trust a leader who's never been through anything you know and I've thought about that in our years of ministry when we're meeting with people and and I'm like I can look in somebody's eyes and I'm like I see it I see the grief I see the pain I can see you've been through stuff and you know what you survived that's what I see out of that Now, some of you are too young to be through that yet. That's okay. It'll catch up with you. It'd be all right. There will be a time when you will know what grief feels like and you will see it. And when you survive it, right? See, See, limping through life is not a weakness. It is experience. It is experience that you have a couple scars with you because wisdom is wrought in the furnace of pain and experience. So to finish up here, Three things that I think pain gives us an opportunity for in our life, in this old order. It's not maybe what God had planned for us, but it's what we have, and there are good things that come out of it, okay? Number one, pain gives us the opportunity to remember our brokenness. Pain gives us an opportunity to remember our brokenness, and that points to our wholeness in Jesus. In this particular situation, in this broken world, with this broken body, Pain is a necessary path to wholeness. You know, we talk about the kingdom in terms of the now and the not yet, right? When we talk about uh, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we're asking the perfection of heaven to break into earth because we recognize that right now is not perfect, but there will be a not yet. So there's a now and a not yet. And unresolved pain is the not yet. It's the not yet. Some of those things will be healed on this earth, and some of them will not. But, because pain entered the world as a consequence for disobedience, when we have pain, I think there's a very natural question that follows. Well, what did we do wrong? What am I being punished for? Why am I feeling this pain? There's this assumption that something has happened to us, and, that, and, and that's what we're, why we're feeling this way. Paul says in Second Corinthians 4, Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, Yet inwardly, we are being renewed day by day, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, and on, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal. Friends, we all have a shelf life we do. My old dog has a shelf life and you know, and unless I get hit by a truck on the way home, I'm going to outlive him. It's part of the deal. It's what's going to happen. We all have a shelf life. The apostle Paul had a thorn in his flesh that God never seemed to heal him from. By the way, God doesn't always heal. That's good to know. You need to put that in the back of your head. If you don't get healing, it doesn't always mean you didn't try hard enough or you weren't good enough. That's not the answer. Paul talks about it this way in 2 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10. I don't think you'll have it up there. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. God is saying, my power is made perfect in your weakness. My power is made perfect in your weakness pain. It's not a punishment. I'm just showing you what's going to happen with it. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardship, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Because folks, we are live in these bodies that are in a state of eternal decay. You know, I don't know about you, but the milk in my milk jug in the refrigerator seems to have a shorter and shorter expiration date. I don't know what the deal is. You know, that stuff lasts like 10 minutes now. I don't know what the deal... I mean, we all have an expiration date. We don't know what it is, but we all have one. We're living in that way, and Paul reminds us of this fact. So you can puff and fluff and color and lift and tone and do all the things you want to do, but we're all expiring right? We're all wasting away. And through an awareness of this brokenness, pain allows God to be glorified. Pain alerts us to the promise of new life. Pain points to something bigger than us. There's something bigger than these momentary trials that we have. It makes me think of the little um, progressive guy with the arrow, you know, that's pointing. You know, he's po- pain is pointing to something bigger than this. We need to, we need to keep that in mind. Pain can be a message not to get too comfortable here, right? And when we were in youth group years ago, we, we sang a song, this world is not my home. Don't get too comfortable in this home that we're in. Have you ever had a guest that stayed too long because they were comfortable? You know, your guest bed was just too nice. You know what I mean? Or maybe you have a kid who's, who just won't leave home because it's too nice. You're co- you are know what I mean? It, don't get comfortable here. This isn't where we're supposed to stay. Pain may bring humility, but it also points to hope. Something better awaits because pain in itself is never the point. But when we ignore it, it will end up doing even more damage or we will miss out on the hope and anticipation of wholeness. Number two, pain also strengthens other areas of our life. Pain will also strengthen other areas of our life. See, we aren't meant to just hold our breath and endurance. So many times when you're faced with pain, you just wanna hold your breath and, and just close your eyes and hope it goes away. And that, you know, that's never gonna get us through. That's never going to work. I'm asking, in spite of your pain, what area of, in your life is God expanding? Where is he redirecting our energies? Instead of spending all of your physical energy and all of your mental energy and all of your spiritual energy trying to fix the one thing that feels out of place in your life, the one thing that if this was in order, everything would be fine, whether it feels like a defeat, a failure, a physical pain, whatever it is, instead of all of that, what if God is asking you to redirect that energy somewhere else because he's developing something else? See, they say that people who lose their sight develop other senses more acutely People who lose their hearing develop other senses more acutely. Those of you who've had COVID and lost your taste, what do you do better? I don't know. I I mean, the point is, you know, you can't use this arm. You're going to use the other one better. We're going to develop other things. Pain prioritizes I learned very early in ministry that there is this instinct among people, no matter what your church says about how we care about everybody and we want everybody to come to Jesus and we can't wait for people to surrender their lives to Jesus, the reality is we have a priority list and we care most about the people we love. We want all of our family to love Jesus first and then we'll talk about everybody else. So sometimes we would sit with families who had like poured so much energy into this kid who said, no, Yes, I know Jesus loves me. No. Yes, I've read the Bible. No. Don't want any part of it. Right? And they, and they just obsess on this thing. And instead, maybe God wanted them to use those efforts for somebody who had a best yes waiting. They were ready to say yes, but we're so busy spending all our time over here. Do you know that Jesus could have done the very same thing? See, Jesus' family was not the first people to get on board with his ministry. And if he was anything like us, he would have wanted them to be. Who wouldn't want the support of your family in your ministry? But Jesus faced this reality. Do you know this story out of Mark 3? Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. And when his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, "'He is out of his mind.'" Some versions say they thought he was crazy. They thought he was out of his mind and they're going to handle it, right? Verse 31, then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived and standing outside, they sent someone to call him. And a crowd was sitting around him and they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. And he said, who are my mother and brothers? He asked. When he looked around at those seated in his circle around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and and mother. Now, folks, they will come to faith later. After he dies, they will support the ministry, and, and particularly James and his mother appears to be in there too. But at least at this point, that's not who was responding to what he was doing. So I'm asking you, who is in your circle that God would like for you to minister to? Who and what is he developing beyond any typical growth? Typical growth that perhaps wouldn't have happened except for the losses that you're presently experiencing. The losses that are currently causing you pain is redirecting your energies. What part of my story is he telling? What part is he inviting me to tell? Because pain provides direction. You touch a hot stove, you are directed not to do that again right? In the Old Testament, God used a donkey to scrape a guy's leg against a wall to change his direction, right? God will do whatever it takes to change your direction, and sometimes that comes through pain. Sometimes God is working to move our focus somewhere else. And I wrote this in last night, and I feel like God wants me to say it to somebody, and I don't know who it is. That thing that feels like failure in your life or defeat Maybe God directing you to another area in your life that he wants to develop beyond any typical growth. He wants to produce fruit in a part of your life you aren't even paying attention to because you're so concentrated on this feeling of loss or defeat or failure or pain, whatever this is over here. If we spend all our energy trying to get rid of the, uh, trying to rid ourselves of pain, fixing what feels like defeat, we will miss out on what God is trying to complete in us. I'm convinced of it. Number three, another thing that pain allows us to do is to lean on other people. It allows us to lean on others. We're back to this community thing, right? Pain provides an opportunity for comfort. First of all, comfort from God. But second of all, comfort from people. Jesus took his disciples with him to the Garden of Gethsemane. Easily the time in Jesus' life when he appears to be most distressed is when he was in the garden anticipating the cross, not on the cross, but anticipating it and asking God, is there another way we can do this? Because I really don't want to go down that road. And he takes his disciples with him who really don't know what's happening. And they're not very helpful, but they're there. They fall asleep on him. But at least he tries to take them with him, right? He needed some support from these, these fellows because we need that. Jesus sees the pain, he asks to avoid it, but he faces it, and he feels it deeply in solitude and in community. What pain is God inviting you to see? What pain is he inviting you to take to God? What pain is he inviting you to share with somebody else, but ultimately to square up and face it and not hide from it? Square up and face it. See, pain brings us into proximity with each other, and it should. When we cry out in pain, somebody notices and says, hey, what's going on? We seek medical intervention. It usually involves someone else, somebody smarter than us, to find out what's wrong with us. And even when we try to hide it, people see us wincing. If they know us well, they can read it on our faces. You know, we always like to think of Peter as Jesus' you know, main guy that was there with him through thick and through thin. But I like to think of Thomas. I think Thomas is an underrated disciple. We only know him as Doubting Thomas. But at one point in Jesus' ministry, when Lazarus had died, and uh, Jesus is talking about going back to see Lazarus and what he, he will ultimately raise him from the dead, the disciples say, whoa, the Jews are trying to kill you there. We don't really think you should go back. And uh, he said, well, I, I am going back, and, and that's what we're going to do. And this is, this is how John reports it, John 11:16. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, that means twin, that's kind of fun, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. That is your ride or die disciple right there, right? That is somebody who's like, I am with you, let's go. You know what I mean? I don't care what happens. I'm going to be loyal to the end. Limping becomes a community event. You know, even the paralytics needed friends that would take them to Jesus. But here's a thought. If you have a limp, be nice because you need people. Here's another thought. If your limp is old age, really be nice. Because you need people. And in a snowstorm, they don't just dump you out the door, right? You need people to take care of you. When people are limping, when people are grieving, we carry them. Does your community console you or do they carry you? Do you console people or do you carry people? People need more than a pat on the back and, oh, I'm so sorry, and here's a flower. Do they carry you during that time, right? As a community, we must do more than just console each other. We may have to dig each other out. Listen, none of us signs up for pain. None of us signs up for it, but at the end of the day, pain can be productive. It can. Romans 5, 2 through 5. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, And character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Our suffering is going to happen, but it doesn't have to be in vain. Our suffering is going to happen, but it doesn't have to be wasted. It doesn't have to produce bitterness or despair. With Jesus, our suffering can produce perseverance, character, and hope. And in our weaknesses, God's power can be seen. I don't know where this finds you this morning. You know, I don't know where your heart is. I don't know if if there's something in, in your existence right now that is causing you to lose heart. I don't know if you would even call it a pain, but is there something that you find yourself trying to muscle through? You're just trying to push through to the other side. Or maybe you're doing something more destructive than that in an attempt to deal with it, to hide it, to dull it. We are a community. And we are here to carry things for each other. We can't do that unless we know it. Now, one of the things we care about here in the Vineyard is our ability to pray for people and to receive prayer. Now, in traditional days, a year ago, we would have people up front and we would invite you to come forward. In these COVID days, we have people and stations out in the commons area. For those of you online, we have a prayer chat button down on the right-hand side. There's someone live ready and waiting to pray with you. Don't leave this morning without getting some prayer and letting the community carry you. You don't have to give them details. You don't have to tell them anything. You walk up to a table out there and I bet they'll look in your eyes and say what God wants to say to you. You don't even have to say what that is. But don't leave this morning without getting prayer. Let's come to our feet and as they go into this final song, anytime during this song, navigate your way out there and let somebody pray for you.